Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 today. I had a friend online on Twitter the other day post that they just needed to get back into the Bible, reading the Bible daily again, living what they read, practicing what they preached. I thought that was a great thing to say. Another friend said his response was, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and love your neighbors yourself, you're done. And, and while that's true, that that is the summary of the New Testament, I was disappointed with that answer. Because what came across was, you don't need to read your Bible. You don't need to dig in deep. Just be a nice person and you're done. We live in a world that wants the soundbite, simplified version of Christianity. And that's... And the reason that's... Dif- Disappoint. First off, it's not profound. I'm sure maybe maybe this friend thought that that was a profound statement. But anybody that knows the Bible knows that that's how Jesus sums up the Old Testament. It's not profound. It's not it's not it's not monumental. It's kind of first grade Christianity. But on top of that, it it implies here's here's my problem. People died. New Testament, Old Testament writers died to write this book that God inspired. Since that time, Bible translators have died to bring this book to people because it matters. If it was as simple as summing it up and saying, just love God and love your neighbors, you're done, we wouldn't need this book. We could say that, go home, and never have to come back to church again. You would be frustrated. If you, if you and your wife were having marital trouble, and you, went and, and you, and you paid the money to go see a marital counselor, and the counselor said, well, just love each other. Go home. You're done. That's, there, you owe me 500 bucks. There's, there's the, you would be frustrated that that was the advice. Yes, that is the summary of marriage counseling, isn't it? That is the summary of a good marriage is love each other. But if it was that easy, nobody would ever get divorced. We would never have marriage counseling classes and, and have to pay people. Because it, it may be that easy on paper, but in the practicality, it doesn't work out that simply. Likewise, love God, love people like God loves them. Sounds great on paper, and yes, it is the summary of the New Testament, but it's not that easy, which is why, and even becoming a Christian and following Christ is not that easy, which is why all of this has been written. Ask Jesus into your heart it doesn't do it. If it was that simple, we'd be done after Acts chapter 2. There would be no reason for the rest of the New Testament. It's a lot more to it than that. To be a disciple of Christ, and we go back to this, we're going to focus on this for a while, disciple and discipline are related words. To be a disciple of Christ means to accept God's discipline in our lives, and people don't want that. You're, I appreciate, especially of all, all weeks, Anthony, you're here. <laughs> At best, discipline is like resisting chocolate, a third piece of chocolate cake. <laughs> At worst, it sounds a bit like punishment. We hear discipline and we think punishment, and we think that we should have outgrown that. But our prisons exist as proof that we haven't. 
Discipline is self-discipline and possibly punishment. It means, here in the church, we're not talking about resisting that third piece of chocolate cake, but resisting sin. It means that when we don't resist, there are bad consequences. <laughs> With that chocolate cake, and when I don't resist that third piece of chocolate cake, well, my have to switch over to the bigger belt <laughs> and, the pants, and, and, and the Sunday pants that don't fit anymore. But, but in my life, in my spiritual life, when I don't resist sin, there are lots of consequences. Some, I appreciate again that, that Anthony brought up, sometimes it's that we get caught. But we know this is more than that, right, as Christians? Sometimes you don't get caught. That doesn't mean it's not wrong. There are also things that are legal that are not good for us. There are things that God has said don't do this even if it's legal. There is a moral law, and that matters to us. It needs to matter to us or we're not really following Christ. Today we will look at what happens when we don't care about sin, when it, when it no longer affects us because we've lost our conscience. What happens when we're passive about it? Or, or worse, as we'll see in 1 Corinthians 5, what happens when we're actually proud about our sins? Pride is a word that our culture, pride is a sin, and our culture has taken it and flipped it on its head and said it's a good thing. On a biblical level, pride is a sin, and being proud about our sin is a terrible thing. We see this in our world on a daily basis. Now, somebody's going to say, typically when I preach, it is this, let's be cautious that we don't fall into this. Let's, let's make sure that we're not falling into this. I, if I step on toes today, they need to be stepped on. Sometimes Jesus was, make sure you don't fall into this. Sometimes Jesus said, you're doing this. And this is sin, and it will destroy you, knock it off. And so, if this one comes across a little harsher, maybe every now and then we need, we, we need to be reminded that there is sin, and that we are taking it for granted, and this isn't someone else's problem, but it is my problem. I want to address it that, that way today. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among the pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. And I've already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present, when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Sin is deadly. Somewhere along the way, we got stupid. Somewhere along the way, we forgot that Christ died on the cross to put to death sin. Somewhere along the way, we came to treat his death as something cheap and common and, it, and no big deal. When I got out of Bible college, I was, I was fortunate that I was raised in a preacher's house. I, I, I saw church all the time, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, minimally. Raised in, raised in, in a house that was very churchish all the time. Went off to Bible college for four years 
did missionary internships and things like that in, in, throughout that time as well. Graduated college, got an apartment, got, got involved in the local church, and came to the realization that maybe the way that I had been living the first 22 years of my life was not average. Um, that, the, that the average person wasn't raised in a preacher's home, the average person didn't go to Bible college and, and, and then seminary, and that... I need to put that on, on silent. And who's, te- and who's texting me while I'm preaching? Don't they know what I do? Um, and came to the realization that, that everybody didn't have the same background and the same... And, and that many of the people that were coming to church were struggling. I hope they were struggling. Struggling is a good thing. Struggling implies that there's still some effort on our part. Some people weren't struggling. They would come to church on Sunday morning... They didn't look anything Christ-like on Friday night. Uh, many, many Christians, frankly, do all the things that non-Christians do and then show up at church on Sunday morning. And that's a problem. We parade our sins as if this is normal, as if this is just the way that it is. This is all church is. It's a get-out-of-hell-free card. You go to church on Sunday morning, you can do whatever you want to the rest of the week. That's why Jesus died, so that you can keep doing all the things that you were doing before, but you're forgiven. That isn't Christianity. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are a lot of people that are on it. And so then when we say that, and then we look at, the, we look at a nation that claims to be majority Christian, but the Bible indicates that the majority of people are not on the way to heaven. And so we realize that there are an awful lot of people that call themselves Christians that aren't, and then we start to look within our churches and ask if that's the case here as well. This was per- sin was pervasive in their culture back then, and Paul was struggling with the fact that in churches like Corinth, there may be little difference. In fact, even worse in, this, in the case of this one individual, that there was little difference between the Christians and the non-Christians. Now, I know that people think that I get shut up in my office and I don't hear what's going on in town, but people in town talk. And you hear things. You hear things about what people get up to and you hear sometimes things about what members get up to and, and, and sometimes what, what we get up to does make it back and we hear about it and we talk about it. You know, I'm not talking about the pagans, I'm talking about our church. Uh, we, know every, we, know, we know everybody's business and then we kind of pretend that we don't know and we don't hear and We hear more than we want to, and it should break our hearts. When we hear about our brothers and sisters in Christ who are not following Christ, whose lifestyles do not show that they're trying to become more Christ-like. And it should break our heart not just because hypocrisy hurts the reputation of the church, and it does, and, and hurts the members of the church, and it does, but also because Christ died specifically to free us from sin. And if we're holding on to our sins, then we're not free from them, and, and, and we're wallowing in, and when we choose to wallow in the filth of our sin, now again, struggle is a, is, is a good word. Um, I've shared before, I, 
A friend of, my, a, a friend of mine had once told me years ago that the name Israel is, is just a fantastic word because Israel means wrestles with God. And the point that this friend brought out, and it really kind of exploded my mind, our relationship is wrestling with God. It is wrestling with how do we get God in our life. There are times God tells me to do something, and I don't want to do it. <laughs> and I have to wrestle through that. The wrestling is good. It means I care because the day that I quit wrestling with what it means to be a Christian, the day that I quit struggling is the day that I surrender and say, ah, I know what the Bible says, but I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. The struggle is good. It's when we quit struggling that we have a problem. The thing is, it's when we're not caught. (laughs) That's the problem. We think that when we're not caught, it's okay, but God always sees and always knows. You know, this isn't like, you know, people play with firecrackers, different states, different laws. Illinois was very strict on firecrackers, which is why all the firecracker stores were just across the borders of Indiana and Missouri. Just five, five, before the first exit was, was the, the fireworks station. And people love to play with fireworks. And you've always got that friend. You've always got that friend with nine fingers that played with it, nine and a half fingers that played with fireworks and got, got burned. Be, and, and for that person, probably it was that thrill. It was that excitement of how close can I get to the fire without getting burned. Sin is not like that. You can get through life with nine fingers. Virtually every shop teacher has figured out how to do that. Sin is like trying to jump into the middle of a muddy puddle and say, I'm going to try not to get dirty. You can't do it. We play like it's no big deal. I'm forgiven. I can do whatever I want to do. But Paul says that it's a big deal. And he says to turn such people over, he says to turn such a person who refuses to forsake their sin over to Satan and be done with it. You're not on the team anymore. If you're going to keep embracing sin instead of embracing Christ, you're not one of us. Some people will go to hell because they're holding to their sins so tightly instead of Christ. And I don't know if they'll be surprised on that day when they face God and God says, I don't know you. I think they will. That's the, the parable that Jesus tells kind of indicates that. They'll say, but, but we went to church on Sunday. You might think that I'm overreacting and that this, that this really isn't a big deal. But sin is deadly. And we take it for granted. We just blow it off too quickly and too easily. It is deadly. We are called to be holy, to be set apart to God, not to our sins. We, we're not talking about the people out there. We're not talking about the people that aren't here. We may have, we have problems. All of us have some sin that we need to get rid of. I know that. None of us are perfect. My prayer is that God's Spirit can work within us to show us where we need to work on that. Everybody's got different sins that we're working through. I pray that we don't blow it off and say, oh, but so-and-so has this problem, and so-and-so, and, and, and try to pass that. We have our own problems with sin, and we, and, we, and we need to deal with it. Keep reading, verse, verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. 
a little bit of sin goes a long way. Now, when I was a kid, my mom decided to do that sourdough thing. I don't like sourdough. Probably, and, here, and, and partly because it, it might be okay for a treat, but sourdough, I very quickly discovered, was it, it's just kind of creepy. She fed it. We had to use it kind of frequently or it would grow too far. It was like a pet that we ate. You fed it. You took care of it. You couldn't go leave it unattended for too long. And you had to keep kind of, and you had to keep baking with it or it was going to die. And so we were always having sourdough biscuits and sourdough bread and sourdough this and sourdough that. And I got sick of sourdough very quickly. But if we didn't keep eating on the sourdough, then the pet was going to die. I don't like sourdough anymore. For the record, yeast is a single-celled fungus that breaks down what it eats. It releases gas as a byproduct. That alone is creepy to me as a pet. It releases gas as a byproduct, and that's why the bread rises and why we're not all eating soft tacos. It doesn't take a lot of yeast to make bread grow. It spreads quickly. My mother had to bake with it frequently because otherwise it got out of control and it was ruined. The comparison that Paul makes is that sin in your life is like that little bit of yeast in the dough that just spreads and it grows. And you can think that you have it under control, but nobody controls. Nobody, nobody controls yeast. It does its thing. It takes over and nobody controls sin. You don't get to keep it in your life and keep it under control. Any sin that is tolerated will grow and slowly, bit by bit, will take over and you won't like the person that you are becoming. We dare not we dare not feed it. We dare not allow it in our lives. So, it is easy to take yeast and say, "But I like bread." That's fine. Let's let's change it. What grows out of control that we hate? Cancer. Right? Cancer. Yeah. There, there is no little bit of cancer that's, that we want. All of it. All of it is terrible. None of it is good. It spreads. It ruins lives. It kills us. It's deadly. We know that... So, so calling sin yeast, well, that makes sense for biblical days. Now that we get medicine and things better, I do think cancer is a really good comparison to sin. Little bit. Little bit that we ignore... And we all, I, I mean, I don't know what, what, what cause of death is cancer is in the U.S., if it's first or second or third, but it's way up there. Not a person in here hasn't lost someone that they love to, to cancer. And I've shared the tragic story that a really good friend of mine got sick. His wife had died of cancer. His son has died of cancer. He knew the symptoms, and he did the see no evil, hear no evil. He just ignored it instead of getting treated because he knew that the treatment was lousy. But the treatments were better than dying, and he put it off too long, and he died from it. Cancer, if you ignore cancer, it will kill you. If we ignore sin, it will kill us. All of it is bad. All sin is bad. It will spread through our lives and kill us. There will be no spiritual growth when there is sin in our lives. Our sin does not allow us to grow closer to God. If anything, they pull us away from him. We cannot be healthy and sick at the same time, we cannot be moving in two directions at once. We are either feeding the sin in our lives or we are becoming Christ-like, but we're not doing both. We will either draw close to God and further from sin 
or it will be the other way around. Jesus won't stand in the same place as sin. It has been overcome by his blood. We have the victory, but we can't keep it. That's not what the victory means. We have the victory to get rid of it. We have, for a cancer example, we have a perfect cure, but we can't keep the cancer. The cure is to get rid of it, not, not to try to keep it under control. Let's keep reading verse 9. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man don't even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Sin is infectious. Paul tackles this. Get rid of it. Get it it out of the church. You know, people say, we hear this, I hear this, mind your own business. It's none none of your concern. That's not remotely what Paul said, is it? We, the problem with the church of the 21st century, the, the American church, the U.S. church of the 21st century, is that we're very American, and we have a very much don't tread on me, live free or die mentality in all of our lives. We mind your own business. I mean, living here in West Virginia, I mean, I, what I love about, I, I love the attitude of, the West, of, of West Virginia. I love, I love the, the idea of, of reading about these frontier Americans that headed off into the mountain and built a cabin and made it work no matter how difficult it was. And, and we take these people and we say, these are heroes. And, and that is very heroic. Um, in Indep- Our main holiday, Independence Day, independence is, is the catchword of being an American. But it goes against spiritually, and, I, and I'm in favor of it in every place but spirituality. When it comes to the Bible, independence is not the name of the game. It's accountability. It's working together as, as a team, as a family. It is not... The Lone Ranger is, is, is such an iconic American figure, but he's not an iconic biblical figure. Uh, biblical... We see Peter and Paul and, and all the other heroes of the Bible accountable to one another, working together. And, and this account, accountability includes removing people that are, that are destroying the team. What right does Paul have to kick out fellow Christians for their sin? Well, sin is contagious. You know... Maybe, maybe we don't recognize it that way, but it, but it is. Churches that don't care about the sin among their members are not healthy churches. The healthy people won't grow, and they may even be drugged down. It is pervasive bad influence that drags us down. It ruins our reputation, ruins our ministry, stabs us in the back. And worse than all of that, that it ruins the reputation of the church, it ruins the reputation of Christ. And there may be people in the community that say, what do I need Jesus for? These guys don't live any different than I do. Some of them are maybe even worse than I am. 
So what do I need Jesus for? And that's where the problem is. What if people don't come to Christ because of the sin in my life? I'll have to answer for that one day. It's spitting on the one who died to free me for sin. It mocks his sacrifice. And so somebody's going to say, Jason, who are you to judge me? Paul's answer is, I'm a fellow Christian. The church, he, he is very clear. It's not the, I heard it said once that the, that the, problem, that the only thing that the non-Christian has done wrong is they haven't accepted Christ. That makes sense to me, actually. Whereas, as a Christian, there are all kinds of things I do wrong because I know better. Because having accepted Christ, it's not as, as, as simple and easy as ask Jesus into your heart, love God, love your neighbor, you're done. All this wouldn't have been written if it was that easy. Now that I know Christ, now that I know that he has standards, and that holiness has practical effects for obedience, now it is daily becoming closer. Now, the good news is, with the Holy Spirit, that journey is absolutely possible. I am more Christ-like than I was 20 years ago. I know that. That's not arrogance. If I wasn't becoming more Christ-like, then the Holy Spirit would be worthless. and He's not worthless. So I know that I'm being transformed into the image of Christ. I know that I am a better person Not because Jason is better, but because as I become more Christ-like, I become better. I know that I'm becoming better. I know that it works not the rate that I want to, and I'm not perfect. I'm certainly not perfect, and I still have sins in my life that I need to get rid of. I still need to become more Christ-like. But the process is working when I listen to the Spirit. But when the Spirit convicts me of, Jason, this is what's wrong in your life, I need to listen and I need to change. Paul passes judgment on sinful Christians and commands us to do the same. We have that responsibility. Willful sinners are a bad influence. Paul says have nothing to do with them. And that's tough. I've, I've known churches, I've been in churches, that have had the struggle of having to pull someone aside and say, you change or you're not welcome here anymore. And that's tough. That's, that's tough. You want to have one of those churches where everybody's welcome. But, but Peter t- talks about about you know, our enemy, the devil, is a, is a, is a lion that prowls around. And, and Christ, using that example of, of, of sheep and the pen, one of the dumbest things Christians do is let wolves live among the sheep. And we dare not do that. And it's a tough conversation to have when, when you have to pull someone aside and say, at this point in your life, you're a wolf. You need to change or you need to find a new home. But this one isn't it. You're tearing down the church. Um, those are hard conversations. But they're biblical, and a church that doesn't do that isn't a biblical church. There are churches that are more concerned about the numbers. They're more concerned about that number in the back corner, and is it the highest number? And numbers are important. Numbers mean that people are hearing the gospel if we're really preaching it. But the numbers are meaningless if people aren't being transformed into the image of Christ. At that point, it's just a social club. If we're not becoming Christ-like, we're not gathering for the right reason. Willful sinners are a bad influence that we should have nothing to do with. We, we should be associating with sinners outside of the church, Paul says. But within the church, we should be trying to get rid of sin. Some Christians, I, and that's that reminder that there have been times in my life when there were some, peop, some Christians that maybe I probably shouldn't have spent so much time with uh, because they were not a good influence. It's tough when we have to ask the question, are any of us the problem, not 
the blessing. You know, hey, look at how many people we have on Sunday morning. That's, that's, that's not our benchmark. Are we holy? It's not full pews, but transformed lives free from sin that we are after. It's not traditions and buildings that we're after, but a Christ-like transformation. Most churches have a membership list anywhere from two to five times what their attendance is. Because people like to look like Christians on the paperwork. They love to have their and they think that, that that's all it takes to get into heaven. As long as my name is on some church membership list somewhere, it doesn't matter if I go to church, read my Bible, pray, be Christ-like. But all of this was written to tell us that holiness matters, that obedience matters. We like salvation. We don't like lordship. Constant returning to the concept of cheap grace. We're not a church of cheap grace. Following God is a big deal. It's not cheap. Grace is not cheap. It costs God greatly, and we can't take it lightly. We must move towards holiness, or we will move away from God. Sin separates us from Him. Our hymn of invitation is hymn number 228. There is hope. If we deal with sin in our lives, we will grow closer to Christ. As we're getting rid of it, bit by bit, we're growing closer to God through His Son, Jesus. Bit by bit. Now, somebody's going to say, but I'm not, I'm not perfect. Well, I, none of us are perfect, but we will become more Christ-like day by day. We, the journey is part of the point. It would be wonderful if, if tomorrow we could all be perfect, but it's not going to happen. But we are becoming perfected. Uh, Any sin that we love to hang on to will hurt us in drawing close to God, and so we pray the Holy Spirit may show us what we need to change in our lives. Sin grows in us, it destroys us, it drags others down around us. Instead, we desire to draw close to God to give Him our lives completely. If you haven't done that today, I want to talk with you after church about that. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.